This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Hi, this is Jeff Meyer with HITS Canine Radio. Today I have a friend of mine, Armin Winkler. Armin, if you've been to HITS, you've seen Armin. He, he teaches it. I think you've probably been to at least the majority of them, if not all of them, Armin. And you're always, I think I missed one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe one at the most. And always a uh, sought-after speaker. Your rooms are always packed with, uh, with a lot of our handlers. And I, you do a lot of different topics. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, controlling dogs and keeping them balanced, uh, You know, maybe a higher-drive dog. So... But let's start off with, uh, can you just tell our, our listeners, maybe if they haven't uh, been able to go to HITS before and they haven't seen you, can you tell them a little bit about yourself and your background? Okay, so my background was uh, obviously in sport. I started as a, as a youth handler in 1976 <laughs> and have been working sport dogs, and I still work sport dogs to this day. It's um, obviously a different kind of work than police work, but it has... A lot of parallels and I think a lot of, um, um, well, it gives me, um, has always given me a lot of uh, opportunity to practice and test out theories and play around with dogs' minds, which, of course, is the, the, the art and science of all this. So, of course, you get thousands of dogs in the sport world towards hundreds of dogs in the police world. So, of course, it, it helps to hone your craft. I got into law enforcement work. Did some handling as a private contract security handler. Once I started teaching seminars in about 95, 96, I started to gather a lot more interest from law enforcement. Law enforcement started inviting me to do seminars because um, they liked what they saw at a sports seminar, and then it became law enforcement. Since the second Gulf War and the uh, introduction of the multi-purpose dog and the tactical canine in in the special operations world, military and law enforcement, I've kind of drifted, I would say, 90% into that world because of the way I do control. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because the in the tactical world, the special operations world, tactics and uh, control uh, are the most important aspect of their job, right? Sure. And to have a tactical dog, multi-purpose <clears throat> dog, a tactical dog that doesn't have good control just turns into a... Um, mess and the people i work with don't want messes they want clean clear-headed animals that uh that function yeah and uh pull the trigger but also have the control that they need to have so you're working with a lot of the groups that are taking dogs overseas and doing highly specialized missions yes Mm -hmm. yeah and and i know when not just here i do it worldwide i mean i i contract with um you know, some of our European counterparts in NATO and stuff like that. Almost all the NATO soft elements have at one time or another come to me or I've gone to them for a course. And I, um, I know earlier when we were just talking about before we started the show, we were talking about some mm-hmm. tactics and you said, well, I don't talk about tactics because, you know, you're not you're not a, a police officer or whatever. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't buy that, you know, because obviously you, you might not be going downrange, but you've been around these guys a lot. You understand. So even if we don't talk mm-hmm. about maybe the policy behind tactics you've been with these you've been with these elements that at least they tell you here's our tactics and here's we got to get from a to b to get, then to get to c in order to have our dogs perform that way so while this show isn't going to be a tactical show 
you know, our whole goal here is good tactics and a, and a control of a dog, you know, and, and obviously yes. you've got a background in, in getting that dog to perform in a tactical environment. And that's what, you know, when we talked, I, I kind of wanted to get going today talking about, and I think especially now, you know, our, our profession is under attack all over it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, police dogs are a little bit in the eye. I, I, I fear it's going to get worse. And I, you know, we keep seeing these videos of, of dogs that aren't uh, performing as well as they should, or as well, certainly as well as they could. So I'm going to do, I'm planning on doing several shows with different people talking about, you know, let's get, let's clean the dogs up and let's just try and do a little bit better. Cause if we don't do it ourselves, it's going to be dictated to us. So I'm trying to, to you know, place some ideas. So for all of our listeners listening, you know, this isn't again, you know, that, we're going to tell you, here's, we did a show. I know I did a show a while back talking about whether you do a verbal release on a bite or not, and people can agree to disagree, but good tactics are good tactics and a, a dog needs to be under control. So I know you have a good background about taking a, a, you know, a higher drive dog and keeping that dog balanced. So that's where we kind of wanted to, what, you know, send this show. So if we're, I think the first place to start with that would be, you know, you talked about sport dogs. Which sport are you doing, and are the sport dogs similar to what you're using in police and military, or are they? I know some people say, you know, sport dogs can't actually do police work or not. So tell us a little bit about the sport side of it, just to show your background. I've done all three European, traditional European dog sports. I've done Schutzhund, my longest. Now it's called IGP, but it's always going to be Schutzhund for me. <laughs> I've done KMTV. Um, I still do a little bit of that with uh, American version of what what we get to do here i did that back in the 90s i'm actually still to this date the only person that has ever trained a dog raised and trained here in in america from puppy to pass a ph1 okay and it's a it's a fascinating sport i've done ring sport in in my club we title several dogs in, in french ring sport so i've dabbled in all of it a little bit i think sport work has one of the hindrances of sport work that we see is that all the sports have holding barks in them. And the breeding trend, of course, is towards a dog that that makes the holding yeah. bark training easier, yeah. which makes passive engagement sometimes a little bit more difficult, not just because of prior holding bark training, but because of the the natural tendency the dog has is to engage with barking. Sure. Um, I think some of the control work in sport is too staged and and um kind of a pattern, the dog can pattern training sometimes yes the dog can anticipate at, at yeah. what times that the outcomes and at what yeah. times the bites comes and in in some to a certain degree it masks the it gives you an illusion of control because it, it it's situational yeah and it doesn't apply to to all possible settings right yeah yeah but it it does it if you dogs are typically taught to out and go to the back of the decoy and then begin a hold and bark there. I've bought many KMPV dogs as police dog candidates, and they had a good out when they came. And as soon as we took away that circling to the back, they stopped outing. Right? Sure, because the pattern so the pattern was broken. The pattern, yeah. yeah. Well, there's more to it than that, but it's it's just something that that shows you that if the dog cannot do his success behavior after he lets go he doesn't know what to do anymore so he's going to stay with the success he has which is biting you know in, in ipo Schutzhund, there's a lot of control asked of the dog but again 
because the dog knows when the bite actions happen, he he can manage himself into a into a state of well, put blinders on, you know, yeah. look away from temptation, yeah. avoid temptation until the couple of seconds before the action starts again, and then he can re-engage. And because the bite work in in IGP IPO is very dynamic and fast, it of course triggers and stimulates the dog with visual clues so the dog yeah. does, isn't the only one that that makes a decision it's actually the decision is is activated and enticed by the helper or the decoy sure. which of course again masks the state that the dog was in before the bite action happened sure so so, so obviously you know, uh, uh, when you compare that to a police dog we're not going to get a, a bad guy that's going to stimulate the dog. They don't want to get bit. So well, gonna... sometimes we do and well, sometimes yeah. we don't. Yeah, but, but, but there's lots count on of it. situations yeah. that they don't. Yeah, we can't, and, we can't um, train that way counting on, on him to, to tap the sleeve and, yeah. and take the yeah. – you know. So when when uh, when you started going over and, and into more of the police dog world and the military world – what were some of the challenges for you personally when you, you know, did, were the genetics of the dog that you, did you find it like a different, like you mentioned, some dogs are a little more prone to maybe genetically want to hold and bark. So did you start looking for a different type of dog or did you take dogs that you, no. dogs, you like the same dog and you just start training them di- different? I, I, I mean, for me, it's always been, um, a strong dog is a strong dog. Strong drives are strong drives, and um, some of the dogs in the when I in the early days of getting into police work, we got a lot of the dogs that were problematic for sport. Sure, the dogs that were offered for sale were the dogs that were given sport handlers difficulties. Sure. So of course they made our work a little bit easier because they already had sort of a lack of control, yeah. which made them more prone to. To bite first and ask questions later, yeah. which for the, for the for a lot of police trainers that that makes their job easier, and it makes it compensates for low skill training, right? Mm-hmm. So those yeah. dogs, those dogs became much more desirable. The other thing we had, of course, thirty years ago, twenty five years ago, was less social. Oh yeah, dogs. Yeah, that, uh, in 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 all aspects, like even in sport. The sociability test, like the mandatory sociability test in Schutzen didn't start until 91, I believe. Okay. And before then, like I, when I started in Schutzen, if a dog didn't out verbally, the, the helper waited for three seconds and then went into the next exercise. And at the very end of it, you could just go up and take the dog off manually. And you lost points for all that, but it wasn't an automatic failure. Sure. After 91, if the dog didn't out with three verbal outs without touching, it, it's immediately dismissal. Then later came a rule that if the dog bites the helper anywhere but the sleeve, it's immediate dismissal. Once you start putting things like that on there, you're you're watering things down. You, you have to be really, really careful what types of dogs you even putting in the yeah. sport anymore of course with that the breeding trends change and that's i think where i saw the um the biggest change is that the breeding trends became for a more social dog a yeah. dog that was not as you know my i i worked one of my schutzen dogs as a patrol dog that i had real bites with and uh, i failed a few schutzen trials because the dog went up sure judges <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. they were on the field yeah. and for him it didn't matter whether a guy had a sleeve or didn't have a sleeve 
he came too close or he kind of came, you know, it was a surprise yeah. to him that he came out of a corner, out of the corner of his eye and tried to engage yeah. him and I had to stop. You know, then he, of course, the routine was over and then he failed that way. So at this point, you know, you fast forward now 30 years. At this point, yeah. how much influence does the requirements for the different sports in Europe, how much influence does that have on the genetics of the dog? I mean, is the money more still in the sport dogs or is there enough money in police dogs that they're trying to, to breed the dogs that, that we want more than the sport dogs? Or is there still still kind nobody, of a, nobody breeds for police? Yeah. For starters, because police don't buy puppies. Yeah. You know, look, look, look at if you look at hits, if you ever ask around the room, any room, or the whole conference when over a thousand yeah. people show up, how many people have ever taken a, a, an eight week old puppy to the street? It's rare, very, You're gonna very, see rare. It very, very, yeah, very rare. And then it's the same thing goes for trainers. How many of the of people who are professional canine trainers have ever trained an eight week old puppy to the street and have success on the street? There are a few out there, but they're few and far between. Sure. And so the, the breeding trend is always going to be for, for sport. In the Eastern Bloc countries, uh, when communism fell and they, you know, they needed a, a way to make money, they figured out pretty quickly that the dog market is big. So before they were training, raising dogs, training dogs for ZVV, SVV, and those types of Schutzhund varieties. Yeah. And, and you would buy a dog that was 14 months old that it was started. He had done some tracking. He knew basic obedience. He might have had a, a, the beginnings of an out already and things like that. But they were typically pretty solid dog and balanced. And then now you go over there and you, you pick a 14-month-old dog. That dog's seen a bunch of environmentals. He's been tied up for agitation for the last eight, nine months. And they just make him sort of a little bite nutty. Yeah, they don't know sit. They don't know down. They don't know tracking. They don't know anything. So yeah. you're buying a dog that was basically just vendor prepped for his entire life, in the hopes that somebody would come and buy them. So that that of course makes it very difficult to to know what you're getting because the dog has not been yeah. through some of the normal rigors of training that that a, a dog that still is in sport. Like you get a dog out of you know Belgian Ring or French Ring or KMPV or Schutzhund that was raised for a year and a half or 14 months to do something with a purpose. I think there's a different mental development in the dog. Sure. And there's a different, that they're just more complete and they make a much easier dog to train. What we have to look at, what I have to look at now, some of the, in the quotations, aggression training that a lot of people are doing with, with police dogs is still based on some of the old methodologies of put the dog in defense and the dog's going to bite somebody. <clears throat> we don't get that nearly as much anymore. Now, there are still some dogs that do that. Uh, and that's if you, you know, my lecture, the Winkler aggression model, I talk in, in depth about how to elicit aggression without always going the defensive route. Because there's a lot of dogs that I buy nowadays that if you, if you do the overt defensive route, like tying them against the wall or putting them on the table or or anything like that, and doing defense work in those settings makes the dogs just very, very overwhelmed feeling. 
And because, like I said, they, they're more social, which means they don't have that. It's almost like they bred out that uninhibited, you yeah. mess with me, you're going to die yeah. streak and, and mindset. And because the Holden Bark is such a crucial element in sport, a lot of times in Europe, for example, when you talk to them about Holden Bark, they actually call the Holden Bark aggression. Okay. And then the bite, prey, right? So they, they almost make this whole toothy, yappy, barky standoff synonymous with aggression, which, of course, for our purposes in the law enforcement world is completely ludicrous. Sure. But if that's how the dog responds when you're putting him into a confrontational situation is by barking aggressively, yeah. um, of course, that becomes, again, a... If the first thing that, that pops in a dog's mind when he feels confronted is to bark at it instead of whacking it, yeah, you're, you have the dog a little handicapped. So sure. it, it's important that the dog doesn't just walk around with a defensive state of mind when it comes to when it comes to biting for real because he may just end up in a situation that goes, whoa, scary, woo, 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 instead of, whoa, scary, whack it. Yeah. Right? So I, I know like that, we used to have. Yeah. And I know you do a whole class on selection tests, but in a, in a, I don't know if, if it's possible, but can you, like, I know that there's several parts of your selection test. When, I don't like the dogs that are the toothy, barky, standoffish dogs. And there's, you know, I'll do a cable test. There's a few things I'll do to try to root that out. Is there, yeah. is there something that you can do when you're looking at a dog to figure out, is this dog going to be the dog you just described, or is he going to be the dog that wants to go in and, and bite first? Is there a couple of quick tests you do on the field to kind of start knowing that not, <laughs> no. not, not every test is, is, you know, perfect, but is there something you do to kind of look at the dog to, to figure out where his mindset is? Well, when I do selection testing, I'm, I'm not looking for a dog that has what he has to have when he's a police dog. I look for the potential to sure. train him to have, to, to, to be functional. And, that's, you know, that's, I think, where people are always looking for this magic formula. There is no magic formula. I look for dogs that have a ton of drive and real drive, not just a lot of energy and a lot of spastic hyperness to them, which mm -hmm. sometimes I see, like, people go comment on a video, oh, wow, look at that drive. The dog's eyes aren't even focused on anything. They're just, yeah. You know, like yeah. a bobblehead doll kind of eyes and they're just bouncing all over the place, but they're very, very active. So people interpret that as drive. For me, that does not translate into much productive training. It has to be manipulated first and blah, blah, blah. A dog that is very, very focused in drive. And that's the big difference between undirected energy and drive because drive has its own focus. You don't have to teach focus and drive. It focuses itself. So, because, so, like, let like, me just interrupt you real quick. You. Let me interrupt you. Mm -hmm. Is that the dog you're describing right there? If he's on the field, is that's going to be the dog? Like, if he's if he is watching the other dogs or something, he's going to be a little more calm, focused on maybe one of the things going on with a maybe a more of a connected bark. Is that what you're what you're saying? <laughs> he might be physically calmer looking, but he is not really yeah. calm. Yeah. All the tension is on the inside of the yeah. body yeah. instead of bubbling out of the dog with physical forms of expression. Yeah, A lot of times I, I call the eyes kind of like laser beams yeah. because they're so focused. Yeah, They're ready to explode. And then, of course, you also have to see how they, how they physically express themselves then when contact comes. Mm -hmm. And for me, if I have a dog, for example, with really, really intense prey drive. 
real true prey drive, I can create frustration very easily. And through frustration, I can get aggression sure. just as reliably as I can get it through other things. And frustration aggression is a lot less harmful to the dog's psyche than defensive aggression is. I agree. And, um, you know, so if, if I solidify the dogs in defense when they're on the bite, I don't do a lot of defensive things before the bite at all. I just don't do it anymore because it's, it doesn't get me what I want. I, what I want to do is I want to create a state of mind where the dog wants to do harm to, to whoever he's facing. And I need to see whether the dog has the genetic potential to, to be taught that. And it, it takes some manipulation. Yeah, I ask you all these things because I think they're all connected. So I think if mm-hmm. we, we talk about you're getting the dog with that laser focus and the dog that that isn't, like you say, the bobblehead, even though his drives are, are intense, you can still communicate with that dog in a way where you can start manipulating his drives mm-hmm. and, and shaping his behavior. Correct. And then... Yeah. If you if you teach him to bite with, as you say, the frustration and not the defense, my inclination, those aren't really the terms I always use, but I, I can picture what you're saying. My inclination now is that that dog that, that you're shaping that way with the frustration is going to be easier to control and easier to teach a, you know, a verbal release and a recall and those things. The defensive dog, it, you know, that, I, that I've seen when they're strong, when they're trained defensively, some of those are the dogs that, in my opinion, maybe didn't want to bite to begin with. They feel that they have to. Those are difficult dogs a lot of times. If, if you're kicking them towards the survival end of the scale, they're difficult dogs, in my opinion, yeah. to, to control then. Because, you know, why should I release? Well, you could have both. You could have a dog that holds on with desperation because yeah. he's almost afraid to let go. Yeah. And then there's, then there's the other dogs that are the other side right, that are still working in defense, and they can't wait to let go. Yeah. Because they want to get yeah. out of there. Because like you said, they were kind of artificially yep. made to bite. And they do it just because yeah. they have to. And then when they don't have to anymore, they're quite eagerly getting out of there. But that's usually a recipe for disaster somewhere else. Those dogs just aren't strong enough for, for what we need yeah. to do. And you'll see I, that, I think you'll see that like in the dog's real, bite. The, he'll, he'll be real frontal. And, and don't misunderstand me, Jeff. I, I think uh, with me, you know, those people that have actually worked with me, there's a significant defensive component that that enters uh, into the work once the dogs are on the bite. I don't do a lot of defensive agitation. Mm-hmm. If the dog is in a fight and something happens to you or to him and he responds like, oh, shit, this is dangerous, that's defense. Sure. And the dog responds, but he has the opportunity to respond and I can gauge and guide how the dog responds. Sure. If he's tied up to a tree or if he's tied onto a table, all he can do is posture. Yeah. Yeah. And until I actually have him on a bite, I don't really know whether there's any significant interference from the defense or not. I've put dogs in the defense. I felt grips get chewy. I felt grips yeah. get shallow. I felt grips waver. And then you have to sell it or say, okay, that's too much. You have to back off. But if you're just doing the agitation before the dog's on a bite and he holds his ground because you're still two feet apart, you have no idea how his brain is processing what he's feeling and you may be pushing him into a hole that that later will show up when you don't expect it. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's a problem. I mean, we see a lot of dogs. You know, I've done, I've had certain military units call me in sometimes before 
before deployment rotations. And they said, like, we want you to, to check these dogs out, whether we can send them into war. Sure. And I test them. I mean, these are dogs that are supposed to be trained and they're supposed to be ready. Yeah. And there was quite a few of them that crumbled. And I said, this one needs a little more work. This one definitely, no, he's probably never going to yeah. do it. And then, you know, you get long faces and you get upset handlers and stuff like that. And then there's a few dogs where I said, look, the dog will probably bite somebody. But, but if ABC happens, he's probably going to have problems. And all they heard was he's going to have problems or he, they heard a phrase like, if ABC happens, he won't bite. Yeah. And then they went overseas and the dog bit. Yeah. But it wasn't ABC. It was an easy runaway yeah. or it was yeah. something simple like that. Well, you said the dog wouldn't bite. I said, no, no, no. He wouldn't bite if a guy's throwing shit at him yeah. when he's coming at him. Yeah. And you've never really, you've never really tested that. It's, and then, you know, on a, on a different deployment, much more confrontational things happened and the dogs were overwhelmed and they dick back down. For me, and look, you've, you've done this for a long time. For me, it's always sort of the first three to five bites that are the most crucial. Sure. I think once the dog's bitten somebody five times or more, he knows that he can succeed by biting on a non-equipment clad individual. Yeah. He can win. He can succeed. Even if he feels worried for a little bit, he can make the opponent feel worried also by just trying some more and, and continuing on. He's learning from those real-life experiences. But for the first few bites that the dog has to get in his life, we have to prepare for that because sure. those are the most crucial. And I think, I think there's you know, we, that. We have a difference between a seasoned dog and a green dog, right? Yeah. So. And that, I think that really lies into one of the the, the challenges is that when you go across the country, you know, like the city I work in, um, when I was a patrol dog handler, we got lots and lots of bites and it was very commonplace and we could, we could get the dogs up there. But when you take statistically all across the country, I would say your average police dog, you know, when you lump, lump them all together, most police dogs are retiring with two, three bites in their entire career. So Some of them none. Yeah, none. They're good dogs. Yeah. It's just they work in a different yeah. environment. And they just don't. Yeah. So I think that when we talk about the challenges of trying to get dogs ready for the street, those are the dogs that I think they're harder to, to make sure they're ready because it might be five or six years of training and then mm -hmm. they're, they're finally in that point where they're actually in the ring with a real opponent. And mm -hmm. I think trying to keep that dog balanced that whole time in training is where we run into mm -hmm. problems. And those are the dogs that end up on YouTube, you know, either by not, not biting or the handler making a poor decision because he's finally in that spot where he gets to to see if all of his hard work is going to work out right, you know, and, and I think I think those are the challenges. Well, we had to wrap up that show as we ran out a little bit of time, but thanks for listening to the first installment of Armin Winkler. We will get part two out real soon. We're going to get a little more into the mechanics of what Armin does to get better control on dogs and develop some uh, releases with dogs in a clear-headed manner. So if you like this kind of stuff, Armin's always an instructor at HITS. Again, this year, uh, unfortunately, due to the circumstances beyond our control, we're not going to be able to do hits in Phoenix as planned, but we will be in Orlando in 2022. So if you check out hitsk9.net, all the information will be there. We will talk to you soon. See you at part two. And if you have any questions on any of this, just shoot me an email at jeff at hitsk9.net. I'll share them with Armin. And when we wrap up the second part, we'll probably end up doing some question and answer shows also. Uh, Armin's one of those guys who has a lot of information and will be happy to share it with us uh, based on some of the questions we get from some of the listeners. Thanks. Be safe out there.